Good morning. I'm assuming you've already heard that we've canceled services today. Uh, it's a level three snow emergency in Union County, and so it just doesn't seem wise to even attempt to have service. If we could, even if it drops below level three by the time service times start, and it may, but the snow is pretty significant and the drifts are pretty significant. So I'm encouraging you to stay in, stay safe. Those of you who are adventurous and will be getting out, be dressed warm because it is very cold out. Uh, we're going to try something a little bit different this week. Instead of just skipping over the sermon uh, that on a snow day, we're going to go ahead and put it online and make it available for you. We're continuing our series, Game of Thrones, and it's a little bit different to, to preach a sermon or talk about a sermon in this setting. Of course, you're not there, and there's not a community that's gathered, and so I'm talking into empty air, kind of like a radio host, and it's a little bit more difficult. And so bear with me as I try to work through this and, and work through my notes. And uh, maybe a little bit rough, uh, but we'll, we'll get better at this as we go. You ever hear the phrase first world problems? First world problems are those problems that we have that other people would most likely in other more remote areas would not complain about. Complain about not being able to find a remote control for our 80-inch TV is a first-world problem. Complaining that the hot water has run out after the fourth shower is a first-world problem. Talking about the hassle it is to fly now post 9-11 is a first-world problem. Pouring your cereal into your bowl and then going to the refrigerator and realizing there's no milk and complaining is a first-world problem. Today I got up and I took my dog out and it was, it was cold and it was snowy and there were drifts and he wouldn't do the things that he needed to do while he was outside and I complained. That's a first world problem because I came home to a warm house with plenty of food and, and, and I shouldn't have been complaining about the five extra minutes I had to spend outside. We're privileged. We, we have food and clothing and education and freedom, but yet oftentimes we're discontent. And discontentment drives. It, it drives us to frantic lives where we spend too much and work too hard. As we move through this series, discontentment is significant. See, discontentment removes God from the throne of my life. And temptation is the urge to remove God from the throne of my life. Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, that the root of their temptation was discontentment. Although God had given them everything they needed, they were not content with what God had given. And so because of this discontentment, they chose to eat of the fruit and disobey God. Discontentment removes God from the throne. Now, not, not that it's bad, to strive and to work. As a matter of fact, it's good to strive and to work. If we're getting C's in schools and we can get A's, I think it's important that we work harder. This isn't an invitation just to accept things as they are and not work hard. If we can advance in our company, if we work hard, we should work hard. All these things are good. But when we become so discontent that we're not satisfied with the provision of God, then it's easy to become disobedient and to remove him from the throne. We've been tracking through this through Matthew and looking at Jesus and 
Matthew 4, 1 through 4 says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now food is a real need. Jesus needed to eat. But Satan was suggesting a misuse of this need. He was asking that Jesus not rely on God. There's a lesson in this for all of us. Usually, we're not tempted by pure evil. Most of us will not be tempted today to go out and rob a bank, or murder, or things of that nature. Usually, sin corrupts what is good. Augustine says this, Sin arises when things that are minor good are pursued as though they are the most important goals in life. If money or affection or power are sought in disproportionate, obsessive ways, then sin occurs, and that sin is magnified when for these lesser goals we fail to pursue the highest good and the finest goods. So when we ask ourselves why in a given situation we committed a sin, the answer is usually one of two things. Either we wanted to obtain something we didn't have, or we feared losing something we had. Money, affection, power are not necessarily bad. But when we pursue these things more than God, when we're discontent with our lot in life to the extent that we disobey God, then sin occurs. Food is good, but God is better. And as we move through this series, maybe a question to ask ourselves is this, what good things have replaced God? If we go back to Adam and Eve, they had plenty to eat. And, and the fruit on the tree looked good, but it was not better than God. In the scripture we read today, Jesus responds from Deuteronomy. And he responds from a time when God was providing manna in the wilderness. We, we all know the story. The people of Israel are wandering in the wilderness and they need to eat. And, and God provides manna from the sky so that they can eat. See, Jesus made God the Lord of his provision. What God provided was enough. So the question is, how, how do I place myself on the throne with discontentment? Well, we begin with the attitude that I alone am responsible for my daily needs. I'm reminded of a roommate I had in college. His, his grandfather was not Christian, and my roommate's dad was a pastor. And anytime they would sit down to eat, Dwayne's dad would want to say grace and thank God for the provision of the food. And Dwayne's grandpa would always object and say, no, I am the one that provided this food. See, it's important that we remember that God is the provider of our daily needs. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus reminds us to ask that God meet our daily needs. And in one aspect, this is reminding us that we're not doing it on our own. Maybe less drastic than blatantly saying God did not provide is improper or illegal shortcuts. We forget God's boundaries in our lives. Sabbath is an important one. 
Although I don't believe that we're bound to, to the Sabbath laws, I do believe the habit of Sabbath, the habit of rest, the habit of taking time to reflect on God, to spend time with others, is an important habit that all of us should have. And yet oftentimes, we run these frantic lives, these lives of discontentment, where we don't even have time to take a breath. Tithe is another. What is tithe? Tithe is giving 10% of my income to support God's kingdom. Oftentimes, we spend at such a pace that we leave no margin for God and for giving. Here's the questions to ask. What do I really need? How much do I need? When do I need to have it? Am I content to live within God's provision? All these questions can help us as we begin to sort through whether we are truly seeking God, truly allowing God to remain on the throne, or whether discontentment is driving us to disobedience. This morning I'm going to close with a scripture that I think will help us understand this maybe a little bit more. In Philippians 4, 10-12, Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not, I, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. There's that word content. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. What an awesome passage. Paul is content in every circumstance. Can, can, can you say that? I've got to be honest, at times I'm not sure if I can say that. I, I want to say that. I want to be a person who is content. Then Philippians moves on to a very familiar verse. Verse 13 of chapter 4 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It, it, it's, a, it's possible sometimes to, to isolate this scripture, or we sometimes isolate this scripture from its context. And and, and we miss the ideal of being content in the provision of God that is inherent in the Scripture. Literally, and this is from Young's literal translation, the Scripture says, For all things I have strength, and Christ strengthened me. In other words, Paul is saying, Christ is enough. Jesus is all he needs. Now, as we've worked through this series, what we talked about last week is that temptation is an opportunity to worship God. And so when we're feeling discontent, when we're feeling that we don't have enough, the question is, how do I turn my temptation to be discontent into worship? And I believe the answer is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the worship response to the temptation to be discontent. So today I have an assignment for you. I'm going to have this sermon out and preached in about 13 minutes. Now that's a challenge for me next Sunday morning, I guess. But, but the question for us today is, what can we be thankful for? As you sit in your warm house and 
and, and if you have family and friends around, or as you think about those who love you, is that not something to be thankful for? As you think about the ability to, to be free and to, to go to church when churches are open, uh, is that not an opportunity to be thankful? I, I would hope that today, in your time, you would spend some time just to express, maybe writing them down, maybe talking to someone else about them, those things that you're thankful for. Well, have a blessed day. Uh, love you guys, and we'll see you all uh, next week. Be safe.